We are wrapping up Philippians after six or seven months. Um, what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to read the last three verses that we haven't talked about yet, and we're going to do a little bit on those three verses, and then I'm going to open it up to you guys. Everybody should have gotten that piece of paper with all the crazy circles on it, and on the back, there are some questions for discussion, so if you are the type that likes to think ahead, um, maybe likes to a little more time to process, go ahead and read those questions as I'm talking. That's fine. Uh, and we'll do a little bit of discussion, and then I will try to tie up Philippians in a nice, nice big bow for us. Sound good? All right. Here we go. Um, so we're in chapter 4, and I'm just going to read 21, 22, and 23. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you, send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. It would be easy to just kind of not pay attention to those three verses, right? It's like he's saying goodbye. Okay, Paul said goodbye, big deal. Um, there is actually a lot to be had in, in these three verses. And the first thing I want to point out to you is that phrase, Paul uses God's people, and he uses it a couple times throughout the letter. In the original language, it was pronounced hagios. It's kind of a cool word just to say, right? Hagios. But it means holy or set apart. Some translations call it saints. That's not the role created by the church a couple hundred years later. It's a, it's a positional description for all those who through the power, purpose, and love of Jesus are now a part of God's family, right? The holy, the set apart, and um, there's some implications that come along with being part of, of God's people. And the, as we think through the book of, of Philippians, the, um, the first thing, sorry, my slides aren't moving, that we see is that Paul encourages us to um, live out of the center of who Jesus is. And that should be clear to everybody around us, both other people who are trying to follow Jesus and to people who have not yet discovered the truth of who Jesus is. That was true for the Philippians. It's true for us now. And he, he points out some behaviors. Right? He repeats the idea of rejoice, to be joyful, regardless of your circumstances. And remember our definition of joy, right? that someone else is glad to be with you, that Jesus is glad to be with you, that you have brothers and sisters who are glad to be with you. That's why Paul can rejoice from a Roman prison. That's why Paul can rejoice in the face of suffering. That's why the Philippians can give sacrificially and still be joyful about it. Um, the, their other-centric behavior. I put some references up there for those of you who like references. Um, that is focused on, says so we should have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, right? Those are the, that's the mindset that we should have in everything, through Jesus' humility and obedience. We should think differently. Paul encourages us, and man, this is so important. Stuff was written thousands of years ago, and it's never been more important than it is right now. Whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Think about the difference between that, and I won't speak for you guys, think of myself, like some, where my headspace can go sometimes, and the dark spaces I can get caught in. 
whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. Think about such things. And then follow the example. Find, identify those people who are a little bit further down the road of faith than you with Jesus and grab onto them and say, hey, can you show me how to live life with Jesus? And Paul is like a unique dude because he, he will say, hey, that's me, follow me. That's a, that's a pretty bold, bold statement to make. And as we walk our, our life of faith with Jesus, we need to be prepared to make that statement for other people. And then those behaviors will have results, right? Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. That doesn't mean earn the gospel. That means that your life reflects the gospel of Jesus. If people look at your life, they will have some sort of understanding of who Jesus is and what he's all about. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We need to take part in becoming the people that God created us to be. Right? God does the heavy lifting, the salvation, and then we join with his spirit in the sanctification, growing in Christ-likeness, and shine among them like stars. When we act out of Jesus' humility and obedience, it is, shines a great bright light on him, and it attracts people to him. Attracts people to him. <clears throat> a thought on God's people, and when we think of God's people, sometimes... Um, it is we get caught in the trap of whoever's on this side of the microphone or whoever's up here, right? Whoever's on this side of the, the camera. Um, but nothing could be further from what the actual reality of who, the makeup of God's people. And I've said this to our community before. Your presence, personality, and gifting are all wanted and needed here at Crossroads. And I, I wrote down this list, and it's not complete, but I want to I read it to you of all the different ways that God works through his people here at Crossroads that I've witnessed, right? Um, those people who give rides to others, to the doctors, those who clean homes, rake leaves, watch each other's children, those who send texts, emails, messages, cards to each other just to check on them and let them know that somebody is thinking about them and praying for them those who put away chairs and gear after Sunday morning, those who set up on Saturday for Sunday morning. <clears throat> there are people who have the gift of generosity and they give and give and give and give gener generously and give sacrificially. Um, there are those who are, I would consider creative geniuses who when you see something cool happen at Crossroads, it's the result of this, a group of people who use their creative abilities to glorify God and for the good of, of other people. Um, there, there are those who, who open up their homes. They open up their homes for whoever might need it, whether that's to just come and vent, to come and sit for a meal. There are those who lead groups during the week. There are those who mentor and guide others. There are those who give up their Sunday mornings to teach and to love our children about Jesus. They give up their time up here with us and they go downstairs and they hang out with their kids. And there are those who give up weekends and hours to spend time with our students so that our students can know the love and the grace of Jesus Christ in a, in a way that they can understand, in a way that they can grab onto. And like I said, that's not a complete list. But when you think about the hagios of Crossroads, God's people, that's what happens when people come together in the name of Jesus. And that's what we want other people who don't yet know Jesus to, 
to experience. <clears throat> which kind of leads me to the, um, the Caesar's household bit, which is a little bit of the, the flip side that I'll get to in a second. Paul specifically points out God's people of Caesar's household. And some scholars think that it means, like, you know, our president has the White House and Camp David and the UK, there's Buckingham Palace and Windsor Castle, like the, those physical locations. Other scholars think it's like civil servants, anybody who, works, who worked for Caesar and his government. Either way, it's the people of that time living for King Jesus under the nose of King Caesar. That was like a huge risk. It was a huge thing to do. And the people of Caesar's household with Paul were sending specific greetings to the people of Philippi. Remember back to the beginning, Philippi is a Roman colony. It's like a little Rome. Think about little Italy and New York. This is like a little Rome, right? The cultures, the traditions, the, the worship ceremonies, the, fe the festivals, the holidays, all Roman in nature. So to worship Jesus in that environment was risky, right? It was risky. And the people with Paul wanted the people of Philippi to know, hey, you're not alone. We're with you. We're glad to be with you. We're glad to be with you even in the hard times. We're glad to be with you. At one point through the, our teaching in Philippians, I used the term exiles, right? That we as Christians in this post-Christian world, live as exiles. Paul's encouragement to us to, was to live as citizens of heaven. That's our home. So we live differently here, here and now. Um, and that means that we take ownership of our little community of faith, right? God's people is we, not they. I know that's terrible grammar, but let me explain it, right? God's people is we, not they. This is a group that you are invited to take ownership of, to shape what it looks like. Not just invited, but like I said before, necessary. The life with Jesus obviously cannot be lived without Jesus, but life with Jesus cannot be lived without other people trying to live life with Jesus. Living under the nose of King Caesar, as we all do, in an environment that is at best apathetic and growing increasingly hostile to the ways of Jesus. We need each other more than ever. And it breaks my heart a little bit when I hear the people of Crossroads say, well, they're doing this, and they're talking about Crossroads. It's we! <laughs> right? It's we. It's we. <clears throat> All right. Um, so we're going to review the big ideas from the last six months really quick. You guys have them on that page, maybe you've been looking at them already. Um, I, Leanne suggested that we put them all up on, on a slide, and I'm thinking to myself, a slide? Like, I, how is that even gonna, I, my brain doesn't work like that, but she's really good with design, so she made, um, made that happen. Those are the big ideas from the last six, six or seven months. So take some time and, and think through those. We have, um, we have a microphone that Ben is gonna, gonna run around. The flip side of the page you have in front of us with those big ideas is these discussion questions, right? And so I would also encourage you not to feel limited by these discussion questions. If there's something that the study of Philippians brought up that you don't have access to through these questions, go for it. just tell us what's, what's on your mind.
All right? Everybody's thinking. And this, guys, online too, please, Ben is and Gail, I think, are watching the, the chat. So if you have something that you want to contribute to the conversation, please put it in the chat, and we would love to, um, love to incorporate that into what we're doing here. What questions did our study of the book of Philippians raise for you? How were you convicted by our study? How were you encouraged by it? And what was the most important aspect or verse from your perspective? Anybody want to be brave and go first? Oh, Amanda's got her hand up, and then Mo. <clears throat> if you can hear me. Okay, there you go. Um, the encouragement part of it, I, I think growing up in different churches and crossroads, there was sort of a bludgeon used with rejoicing, where instead of just sitting with the pain or just letting those feelings just be what they were, a lot of times what would happen was it would be a pat answer to kind of change the subject where it's like, well, you should always be rejoicing. Instead of actually, you know, addressing and assigning and, and some of that emotional spirituality that we've been going through. But it's so encouraging to know that that is a, hey, it is possible to have joy in any circumstance because of him and because of who he is. Yep. So that definitely was one that stood out. Awesome, thank you, Amanda. Mo, are you ready? Um, in Philippians 1, uh, 23, um, it says, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. And when I, when I was reading this yesterday, it immediately, um, I thought of, um, you know, the olives being hard pressed. And I was sharing that with um, Adriana yesterday. It was um, a reflection for me is um, for purpose to be fulfilled through God. Um, like Jesus was, you know, he came into this earth and he was like in the scripture, you know, again, it says that he was emptied out. And, you know, he came here into this world as, as a servant. And Paul himself is a servant of Christ. And it's, it's beautiful that in knowing that we're going to be with Christ, but there was a purpose still that he had to continue to fulfill for Christ. And so that gave me um, insight and, and clarity and, and yes, finding great joy through Christ through every circumstance and, and you know situation that we're facing, yes, we are finding that great joy because of who Christ is. Right. Um, and just having and feel that, to continue to feel that purpose is like our work is not done yet. God's work is not done yet. So that's, I love the whole olive thing because I went and looked through the second, you know, century, fourth century, uh, how they pressed you know, the olives yep. and, and every process is just like improved per century. And I was like, for the extraction of, of the oil to be dripping out upon the stone, I thought that was beautiful because again, it reflected how Jesus's blood ran on the stones. Wow, Mo, I, you come up here. I'm gonna come sit down you just, <clears throat> other thoughts, verses that stood out to you, questions that were raised, David. 
I think one of the most important verses in this whole book is uh, in chapter one where Paul says that his prayer for the community is that their love abounds more and more. Mm. Our love abounds more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that we may approve the things that are excellent. And I, I think that's really, it's really important because one, like as we go through a study of anything, our posture should be one of how can we use this to love others, right? But a lot of times um, discernment, trying to, to determine whether something is true or not is come at from a suspicious posture, from an angry posture, from a judgmental posture. And I think that it's important that Paul is saying that our love will abound more and more with this knowledge so that we can discern. And I think that that's something that our community and our community at large, um, just Christianity in general, is, is struggles with that a lot, where mm. discernment means anger, fear, suspicion, challenging, you know, being abrasive. And I think that, that this is an important shift that Paul is talking about. Yeah, great point, David. Comes out of love. Other thoughts? Isabella? Um, so I'm gonna share one of my convictions. Um, I realized while studying the book of Philippians that um, I tend to put all of my focus and effort into like worldly things and like the wrong things. And then I get upset when I don't get like the recognition um, that I'm looking for when it's like I'm I'm not supposed to be rewarded for those things. Like I'm supposed to be rewarded for the effort that I put into like my community with the Lord and my relationship with the Lord. Um, so that kind of just made me rethink my priorities. Thanks, but thanks for for keeping it real. Like some of the, some of the stuff that um, it will be convicting, right? But one of the great things about conviction from Jesus is that there's a peace that comes with it, right? You know that it's from Jesus and that it, it's because he wants us to be the people that he created us to be. Thank you. Gail Kay. Um, this was just going way back to the beginning when David Carlson recited the whole thing of Philippians and um, the verse that really stood out to me when he went through it was when he talks about how Epaphrodite's almost died, he's going to send him back. He says, but God spared me sorrow upon sorrow. Um, and it sounds very negative, sorrow upon sorrow, but I don't know, I just, I just latched onto that verse, and this whole time there, we've, our family's been through a lot of difficult things, but I was able to see so many little gifts along the way, and, was able, and you know, I would say to Tom, like, oh, God just saved me sorrow upon sorrow right now by whatever this one thing was. And so it sounds, I don't know, it sounds, sorrow upon sorrow sounds so sad, but for me it was just like a bomb. It just, B-A-L-M, bomb. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, uh, I don't know, it just it was so good for my heart. And I recited that over and over, um, all the little things that I saw along the way where God provided for us in yeah. the midst of hard times. Cool. Thank you. Debbie? I just reread uh, chapter one this morning, and it really sticks out the verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me 
has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord mm. and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's like, I read this and it's like, wow. It's just such bravery. Incur you know, it just encourages you to go through, you're going to get through the hard times and just remember that it's temporary and we have Jesus to go to. Jesus is like almighty, all powerful. He's your father, your daddy, your comforter. It's like, what is greater than that? And it's so wonderfully beautiful that the whole, all the people got together. And, the, and we all know there's strength in numbers, right? That's why we pray in groups and we care for one another. And just like we did for Tom and Gail, we pull together and we care. And that's what keeps us here. That's what I love about Crossroads. <laughs> Thanks, Deb. How are we doing? We got time for maybe one or two more. I love this that you guys are going back and rereading stuff and looking at it again, and that's awesome. Anything maybe up in the big idea screen, making you think of anything, pulling any thoughts from way back? Are you raising your hand or are you waving at me? Amanda. <clears throat> um, actually, what you had just said this morning, the hagios, where it means being set apart. That is both convicting and raises questions for me. Because when I see, I mean, outside of Crossroads, unfortunately, I, in this community, I don't see it as much, but in churches, if you follow people on Twitter or if you're seeing anything like just abuse and and hurt and shaming and guilt and it sucks so it's coming from within like what's supposed to be god's people right yes That's, yeah and yeah. so that important aspect but also that conviction of we are supposed to be lights not hidden not not you know put under a bushel or a basket or and so, I mean, Scott yesterday and then also Ben reiterated that light in the darkness. But if there's, a, there's another verse where it's like, if the eye is dark, how much more will that darkness be, basically? Um, quick paraphrase, anyone can say something about it. Okay, good. <laughs> but that conviction of what does my life look like different than just anyone that doesn't know God. So right. that important aspect also is like, what encouragement can we get out of that of God's people means that we are set apart for him and holy to him. Right. Thank you, Amanda. I want to use Amanda's comments to kind of segue into the wrap up of the of the whole the whole deal, and I want to do that through the lens of our our look up, lean in, reach out model. Um, when you when we think about looking up and the structure of the the letter, right? Paul starts with his greeting, grace and peace. 
the gift of God, the loving kindness is expressed in Jesus and the peace, the wholeness, the shalom, the integrity of life that can be had in Jesus. And Paul returns to those ideas throughout. And then in the very middle of the book is the Jesus poem in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. That's completely other-centric. And the whole book, the, our whole Christian life, hinges upon the humility and the obedience of Jesus. Right? But it's more it's Jesus' service and submission. It's his humility and obedience. It's his exaltation and worship that the whole thing ties around. And when we think about living differently, thinking differently, that can feel overwhelming, like a, a chore list. But it's with Jesus in the middle right, of our lives. We attach ourselves to Jesus. And as we move closer to him, that becomes who we are, not what we try to do. That's, that's the goal. Um, and then Paul wraps the whole book up again with, he, he concludes with, the grace of Jesus Christ be yours. Amen. So the beginning, middle, and end. The whole first part of my comments this morning were about lean in, so I'm not going to go back to that, but about God's people and being there for, for each other. And <clears throat> to what um, somebody made a comment, I'm sorry, I don't remember specifically who, but the idea of reaching out, the whole, like, all of this, the joy that comes from the book of Philippians was catalyzed by hardship and trial. Paul plants the church, gets arrested, gets beat up, gets tortured, gets thrown in jail. Earthquake happens, busted out, and he doesn't go anywhere. He's with his people, right? Out of that hardship, the church is planted. The church is started. Out of his current hardship, he's back in a Roman jail. The palace guard comes to know Jesus as a result of his imprisonment. Right? Epaphroditus sacrifices himself to bring the gift. The Philippian church sac give sacrificially so that Paul can have while he's in prison. This, I, I feel like I could have done a more thorough job with this aspect of Philippians when we think about when Paul talks about sharing in Christ's sufferings. Right? That was something that Paul longed for, to share in Christ's sufferings. I'm like, no, thank you. I mean, Christ's suffering is like to the cross. But that's what Paul calls us to. And out of sufferings and hardship and trial, it's not something to be avoided. We are not entitled to a life free of sufferings. And I'm speaking to myself now, because I get upset. Hard things come my way, and I'm like, well, why? In Christ, our Suffering, our trials, our hardships are never wasted. Never wasted. For his glory, for the good of others, for our good. And that's something that as we reach out, we should be encouraged and inspired. If things get hard, we get pressed. Get hard pressed, right? What comes out? The Philippian church and Paul were together in hardship and in joy. They were together in giving. They were together in gospel, the gospel. They were together in their growth in Christ-likeness. That is our encouragement this morning, that we would go forward with Jesus in the middle, moving forward together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you that you want to be 
the middle of everything. Thank you that you are more than capable of being the middle of everything, that you can hold everything together, that at your word, everything came to being. Um, the galaxies and the universe keep spinning because of your power. Our lives are changed and transformed because of who you are. God, would you make us the kind of people who rely upon your grace and peace and lean into each other so that we would represent you well to the world around us, that we would shine like stars, and that, God, we would not shy away from the hard things that come our way or try to avoid them, God, but we would lean into them and allow you to do what only you can do in those hard circumstances. Jesus, thank you that we are together with you, and thank you that we are together as a community. In your name we pray, amen.